0: You're listening to Subconscious Mind Mastery, podcast number 142. Thomas, back with you. Boy, this podcast, we're going to go deep today, gang. And this thing took a while to put together. This is a listener request from my good buddy Dave down in Jacksonville, Florida, who asked for this in the Subconscious Mind Mastery podcast listeners Facebook group. And that would be a great reason for you to pop over to Facebook and join that group. Ask to join, and I'll put you in there, and we can exchange like this. So thank you, Dave, for this request, first of all. And what he was requesting is if we would discuss a particular technique that he had found in an article by a guy by the name of Neville Goddard. Neville was a teacher, lecturer, and author who left us back in 1972 But he lived in Los Angeles, obviously during the last century. And he was part of a group of people that really inspired their generation with this material. Who else was in L.A. during that time? Dr. Joseph Murphy. You know what he wrote? The power of the subconscious mind, right? And you know who else was out there? I don't know if they ran together, but they were certainly there at the same time. was Paramanhansa Yogananda, the man who basically brought yoga to the United States. And what caught my attention is how they both passed. Unusual observation, but they both died young. Yogananda was 59, Goddard was 67. And they both knew that they had completed their mission, their soul's mission on Earth. That's the interesting part. And when it was time to exit stage left, they did, quietly and quickly. And even in Goddard's writings, he had said that this was his last journey in this Earth realm that he was going on to other things. So I just, that's pretty interesting. Goddard was trained by the same teacher who taught Joseph Murphy, power of your subconscious mind. And the teaching was basically rooted in the Hebrew writings and the Kabbalah. So we're talking basically the Old Testament and the Jewish teachings in the Kabbalah. I think to understand Neville and to get the context of this teaching that we're going to talk about here is to know The context that he was coming from. And actually, this has really inspired me to go deeper and dig down on the Kabbalah, because I know there are some amazing teachings within it that I have not explored. But here's a just a Wikipedia definition of Kabbalah. So it says the Kabbalah's definition varies according to the tradition and aims of those following it from its religious origin as an integral part of Judaism, and later to Christian, New Age, occult Western esoteric, syncretic adaptations. What does all that mean? It means it's evolved into modern times, is what that means. It means it's an ancient teaching that has been carried through and adapted into all these newer teachings that we are subscribing to today. Kabbalah is a set of esoteric teachings meant to explain the relationship between an unchanging, eternal, and mysterious infinity and a mortal and finite universe, or God's creation. Hmm, does that sound uh, just a little bit familiar? <laughs> if, you've, if you've delved into any of Fred Dodson's work, you know that that is the basis of it. And I know Fred has studied the Kabbalah. I'm going to study it for myself because I want to learn more about this. So this technique that Dave was interested in is in an article called Believe It In. And I'm going to provide you a link to that article in the show notes. I'll also stick a YouTube video of a talk that Neville Goddard had given, in case you're interested in hearing his voice and some of the other context of how he spoke and some of the things that he taught. The video's short. It's about 16 minutes, but you'll get an idea. Now, here's a catch. For a lot of contemporary people... Neville Goddard is hard to read and hard to understand. It's not his English. It's it is the way that he expressed himself. He used deep language that we don't use today. Wayne Dyer, I was listening to an audio book of his a couple of years ago while I was skiing. That's how I remember I definitely was listening to it. But I think it was from an audio book where he mentioned that his kids would read Neville and then come back to Wayne Dyer asking him to explain what they had read because they just didn't understand the lingo. That's not going to affect us today, obviously, but if you go back and start to read Neville, just get ready. You're going to have to go slow. It's not a quick read. But here's the believe it in technique, and I'm going to quote from this article, and then we'll unpack this. He says, to say, I'm going to be rich, will not make it happen. He says, you must believe riches in by claiming within yourself, I am rich. You must believe in the present tense, because the active, creative power that you are is God. He is your awareness, and God alone acts and is. We're going to come back to that concept here in just a second. But he goes on to say, His name, God's name, forever and ever is I am. Therefore, He, God, can't say, I will be rich or i was rich but i am rich claim what you want to be aware of here and now and although your reasonable mind denies it and your senses deny it if you will assume it with feeling your inward activity established and perpetuated will objectify and i'm going to say that's see there's part of the terminology he says will objectify itself in the outer world it would be easier for us to say, will create itself in the outside world, or will manifest itself in the outside world. So he's saying, if you will assume it with feeling, your inward activity, or that which you are thinking, feeling, and expressing, will manifest itself in the outside world, which is nothing more than your imaginal activity manifested. Neville was big on the imagination of that generation, especially of that pack of people running around in Los Angeles in the last century, was one of the big advocates of what we imagine in our mind is what we can create in our world. Now, a couple of things I just want to back up. Neville's teaching was based on the Bible, basically, on Scripture. He was mostly trained in the Old Testament, if you will, but he incorporated all of it into his teaching and writings. So you get that perspective. And in fact, generationally, these these are some of the interesting points, when he talks about God in the he pronoun, I mean that was because nobody back in that day would ever have spoken of God in a feminine context. If you want to explore this, and I know a lot of people still proclaim God in the male pronoun, my purpose of this is just to prick you a little bit to explore both sides of the presence of source. It's a male and female presence. And if you really want to challenge this or explore this on a different level, if you know any autistic kids that have somewhat been brought up in a spiritual environment, ask them how they perceive God. I've known of several who will proclaim God in the feminine context. That's not the purpose of this talk, but I just, as I went through this, I thought, ah, that's so interesting. You know, that he based his material on the scriptures That generationally, this is 70, 60, 50-year-old material, and that just jumps out at me. I mean, we're in a shift. If you guys don't know this is happening, then you better wake up, because we are shifting from a Piscean-dominant age that has been in place for several hundred years into an Aquarian age. And you know what's coming with that? More feminine power. I, for just my own reasons, don't go to many movies, Hardly any. (laughs) And I don't watch the Oscars, but it happened to be on at a place where I was last night. I'm recording this the day after the 2018 Oscars. And the lady who won Best Actress, I saw her set her trophy down on the stage and she had all the women stand up who had been nominated for that award. And in essence, she just put her arms around everybody. I think this is what was happening. I didn't, sound wasn't up, but you kind of fill in the gaps. That she was embracing all of their collective contribution and their talents. And she was saying in the context of the Harvey Weinstein thing and everything else, look, we are here. This is us. We are powerful. And guys, I'm talking to you now. If you get in the way of this, you're going to get rolled over like a steam engine. Your best study is how you can roll with this new wave. And the quicker you can get out of the paradigm of the 1970s, I'm telling you, that's over. And done, energetically. So, best to get on board. I regress again. I apologize. I want to read one other section from the Believe It In article. Again, quoting Goddard. I say to everyone, the whole vast world is now in your human imagination, and you can bring any desire out of it by believing it into being. First, you must know what you want. Then, create an image that fulfills that. Would your friends know and talk about it? Imagine that they are with you now, discussing your fulfilled desire. You could be at a cocktail or dinner party that is being given in your honor. Or maybe it's just a little get-together over tea. Create a scene in your mind's eye and believe its reality in. That invisible state, and that's what he's saying there is obviously your imagination, will produce the objective state, that's the reality, that you desire. For all objective reality is solely produced by imagination. The clothes you're wearing now were first imagined. The chair in which you're seated. The room that surrounds you. There isn't a thing here that wasn't first imagined. So you can see that imagining creates reality. If you don't believe it, then you are lost in a world of confusion. Now, it's interesting that as I was thinking about this and preparing it, that I was having a conversation with a friend who said that she some time ago had read Wayne Dyer and thought that after reading this, all I need to do is flap my arms and I'll be able to fly. She was obviously being very sarcastic. But her point was that the teaching was that if you can just believe it, then you can have it. I mean, if you think that the secret was something new, you know, Goddard was talking about this. 50, 60 years ago, and the ancients were talking about it five or 6,000 years ago. But back to my friend's point, what if you concoct some just totally ridiculous scenario in your mind, like if I stand on the edge of a cliff and flap my arms and fall over, that I should be able to fly if I believe it enough. And that's a great point. And by the way, this person is a very self-accomplished individual. She's an internationally known artist and sells her work for very high prices. She's in demand and created it herself. This was all her doing, and she's very quick to tell you that. So this stuff of sitting around and concocting things in your imagination and then they'll all of a sudden come true is basically to her a bunch of BS. So where's the middle? Where you know? How do you answer that when... Like examples of my own life when you guys have heard the stories, one after the other after the other, of just incredible miraculous things that have happened in my life that I've hardly had to lift a finger for. This is, to me, to me now, this is the separation. This is the distinction. This is why I combine intuitive prompts with reality fulfillment. That takes flapping your arms and falling off a cliff and flying off the table. Because I don't think, in all honesty, that my intuition would ever say, go stand on the edge of a 200-foot drop and flap your arms and everything, jump off and everything will be all right. Nor do I think yours would. But my intuition did say one day, it's time to move to Colorado. That was pretty radical. I had it going in downtown Dallas. Friends were there, contacts were there, et cetera, et cetera. And then all of a sudden, this guy packs his Jeep and out of town that fast. In fact, I've stayed here because of those same intuitive prompts. In fact, I think it's safe to say that across the whole slate of my life, there isn't anything that hasn't either been inspired by intuition or at least resonated with, sounding boarded with, just checking in with intuition. Are we still all right here? Whatever area that is. Just checking in. Is this still the right path? So, I think what the best approach to this is that we create in our imagination? Absolutely. And in fact, this has always just been with me. If you go back in the Hebrew Old Testament to Genesis, which was in the Torah, so this was not just the New Testament Bible that we have today, but these were the old ancient Hebrew writings. If you read the first chapter of Genesis, you see the creation story. You see God as a creator. You see God speaking, and then the things that he spoke coming into existence. But then, church teaching comes along and says, when God rested, that was it. There was no more creating, and that the creation that God intended was complete. But in that same area, it says that we are made in the nature of God, that God crafted Adam from his own nature. Doing what? Making him a creator told him to go out and be fruitful and multiply. In other words, to use his creative abilities. And I firmly, honestly, personally believe that we still have those same creative powers. Now, can we speak a universe into existence? No. Well, I don't know. Maybe. Fred probably could. <laughs> I haven't tried. Again, never have gotten a uh, an intuitive prompt to do so. <laughs> so. And I'm not holding my breath. But this technique that Dave wanted me to elaborate on is this believe it in technique where you basically state or write what you want, what you imagine, in the past tense as though it has already been completed, as though it already exists. So you're writing it in the past tense, but believing it in the present tense. And what that is doing, obviously, is setting your alignment with this has already been fulfilled. And, as the article states, you believe it into reality. Now, again, if you're frustrated with all this talk about law of attraction and this stuff, maybe that's why. Because, here's a really great point. All this stuff about reality creation, manifestation, the law of attraction, all this stuff is not here to serve our ego self. It's here to serve our higher self, our soul self. So if you think about, like my friend was saying, okay, I want to stand on the edge of a tall cliff and flap my arms and fly. Let me just ask you, is that coming from higher consciousness, higher source, higher self, or is that coming from the ego? Obviously, it's coming from a sarcastic portion of the ego. But let's think about something else. I want a black Maserati. Now, where's that coming from? If I said that, and even if I said it because I really wanted to just go out and create something, I wanted I mean I you know, I don't have any intentions of a black Maserati. I love my white Jeep right where I am. It got me through a whale of a snowstorm last night, did a good job of it. I wouldn't have wanted to be in a black Maserati, mine or anybody else's when I was driving through that white out. But let's just say for intents and purposes that I got settled and meditated and wanted a black Maserati. Was that coming from my higher source? I'd have to look inside and say the only place that could be coming from was ego self. In fact, I can just sense right now in in talking through this with you that there's nothing in my inner spirit that says that that's an expression from higher source that wants to fulfill. So if it's not an expression from higher source, then it has to only be from one other place. Because spirit or source or intuition generally produces things that are not ludicrous, but are things that are toward our soul's expansion. Make sense? Now, that's not to say that all things would be sane and rational. Sometimes it is a move across the country, or a job change, or, yes, even going through a divorce, loss of a child, loss of relationship, etc. We, in our ego self, might frame these things as bad but Source has a different plan. Our soul has a different plan. And these things then in the context can be seen for what they are, which really is growing us closer back to Source. And you know, several podcasts back when we talked to Amir Zoji and I introduced you to his WTF program, some of you may have picked that up, and I'm working with four of you in a coaching program on that. That whole program is based on the concept that Neville teaches that we are source. We're not separate from source. We are source. We don't connect to higher power. We are higher power. We don't seek God. Yes, I'm going to say it. We are God. And don't think that God is sitting on some throne out there and that God is some outside external presence. God is everywhere. God is in all things. So when somebody says, you are God, you are part of God, that's not to say that God is over there and you are over here and somebody is declaring you as God. In fact, in the Bible, they call that blasphemy. What it is saying and how Amir teaches it, which I think is a pretty cool way to teach it, is if you think about the ocean as the vast one source, i.e., God, Amir teaches it as all-encompassing love. Think of the ocean like that. And then take a water bottle, like the water bottle that you would buy at a convenience store. Let's say you drank all the water. You've got the empty container. Now you go down to the beach and you put about, let's say about fill up a third or a half of the bottle with water from the ocean. As Amir teaches it, and this is a lot to wrap your head around, that's why there's a year-long coaching program that comes with it, because it is heady stuff, and it, it, it you have to look at it from a different paradigm. But now, as he says, you are the water bottle. You have the ocean in you. You are not the ocean, but you have the ocean in you. And that's about the best way that we can wrap our little finite duality-based selves around an infinite concept. God is all and in everything. Source is all and is in everything. And we, in this earth creation, have that source in us. Are we the source inclusive? No. Do we have the source in us? Yes. How do we react to the source? Usually, and a big part of this is because of the church's teaching, We think of ourselves as separate from source. That's why we pray to a God out there. We seek higher source. We seek divine guidance as though it was outside of ourselves, like we have to lob a prayer up into the heavens and hope that it gets answered. Or we seek somebody's opinion who we might think is a spiritual person because we want a spiritual answer or a spiritual look on things. But that's all coming from the perspective that it's out there or separate from ourselves. This teaching is saying that when you get the idea that you have source in you, that you are not separated from it, and that you can connect to that source as though you were that source, or at least how the Bible teaches that God and Son of God, I and the Father are one— In fact, that's an interesting statement right there. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. In other words, the water bottle, a different vessel with the source in it. And when you connect to that manifesting law of attraction and all of this stuff takes on a whole different meaning because you operate as though you are source. A vessel, one with source. Whew. I know this is a lot to grasp. I was thinking as I was making my notes on this, this is how Fred operates. He got it and writes about it in all of his books. He states it a lot more simply. It's just like he says, you've got to plug into source and then you get everything you want. A mirror has a different way of teaching it. It's more heady. It's more deep. It's uh, more angles to it. Fred just stripped it down to its base elements, like there is a source, you are connected to that source, that source is in you, and when you plug into that and start using it in your life, miraculous things start to happen. And by the way, that is completely non-denominational. I mean, there are no religious or cultural boundaries around that whatsoever. That applies to any person walking the face of the earth. No church or no organized religious group has any lock on that. In that sense, you could say we are all created in the image of God. I'm going to break this podcast here. There is a lot more to talk about on this topic, so we're going to do that in number 143. And I'm going to record that now so that you have the benefit of listening to it together with this one. So I will see you for the completion of this topic in podcast 143. I'm Thomas Miller.